Money in the bank. That's how to describe Minnesota GM Billy Gurren, a new age outlaw NHL GM in charge of the wild and the state of hockey. Absolutely a hockey guy that keeps his ego in check. You want to sit and have a beer with because he is no nonsense, but not take yourself too seriously, salt of the earth. The mantra of have fun and work harder. If not for the artistry of Colorado GM Joe Sackick's deadline additions that came at a high cost a year ago that helped Colorado win a cup, you probably would have said GM Gurren's additions were the next best of the Western Conference teams a year ago. This year, without question, the best deadline belongs to GM Gurren in the Western Conference in the most difficult circumstances to do so. In fairness, GM Gurren's tough decisions to do the Parisi suitor buyouts was his decision, but that's what the old sheriff settled Gurren with, and only he pulled the trigger to signal a new frontier. Gurren doesn't waste bullets, or his words. As covered in the last look at Minnesota, we talked about GM Gurren in his podcast interview with the Athletics' Michael Russo. Might add, there was a closer-to-the-deadline interview by 32 Thoughts. Gurren did as well. And while neither are a full-out tip of the hat for what Minnesota did, both clearly provided the map to what Minnesota would in fact do in the process. Both great listens, if you haven't already done so. Next, yes, Gurren, who some began calling Billy the Banker, might have looked like a seller. The quick draw February 17th St. Louis second two-player deal had Minnesota hold 25% of the salary after 50% already was retained by St. Louis to assist St. Louis getting the deal done with its trading partner. The cap number versus the real out-of-pocket money are different things. Again, please, if you're wanting Minnesota Wild information, as one of his aptly named podcasts is titled, Straight from the Source, the Athletics' Michael Russo provides clear answers for this. From a player standpoint and draft capital, Minnesota, as the middle team, received a fourth round 2025 pick and sent forward Josh Pillar 21, a fourth round 2021 unsigned pick. Russo's tweets of the minutes where former St. Louis captain O'Reilly was a rostered Minnesota player were epic. It also ensured O'Reilly didn't end up on a Central Division or Western Conference rival team Minnesota might have to meet in the playoffs by facilitating a trade to an Eastern Conference team. That's a win. The February 23rd third-party deal Minnesota does around the same thing in a Washington-to-Boston trade. Minnesota retains 25% of the already reduced by half salary of defenseman Dmitry Orlov for a 2023 fifth-round pick, while sending unsigned 26-year-old sixth-round pick of 2017 forward Andre Sletlikov to Boston. If you're like me and do your own team depth charting that I use for my free agency podcasts and also to evaluate a GM's ability to cap manage by slotting in a roster a coach potentially will be playing with, I will tell you neither of these reserve list picks are included. They exist, but until the team signs them, they aren't playable assets. However, Billy the Banker just took two unlikely to be signed former picks and for taking on a bit of cap space for big ticket NHLers for the remainder of the season. While those are now upcoming picks for the talented Minnesota director of amateur scouting Judd Brackett, 
to line his pockets with. Trouble was, some of the fan base not listening thought the moves had Minnesota in the sellers category. Minnesota was always positioned to do a big splash rental and were still able to. Minnesota fans listened to the Athletics' Michael Russo. He's connected. He knows his shit. To quote him from Twitter on Thursday after Minnesota facilitated its second middleman trade February 23rd, retaining salary for a pick, Russo said, quote, Minnesota have tons of cap space if they still want to add. This only affects team owner Craig Leopold's wallet and the beat writers who don't want to pay attention to the fifth round. Let's pause for a second because that's funny. And I'm guilty of checking out by the third round when I recap the draft for the division teams in this podcast. So I feel that. There are especially, I find, deep prospects in the fourth round that end up every day in each hours. Just the draft age, it's a long development curve arc. You aren't pumping the pick's value at the time. An aside, take Nashville's 2015 fourth round deep pick Alex Carrier. He's 26, his first prime age player year at 25. Last year, he became an everyday NHLer in 77 games played. Over the prior three seasons, mostly developed in the American Hockey League. That's the arc for a fourth round pick to the show best case scenario. Whereas the 2016 year after first round pick defenseman Dante Fabro, 25, has 231 games played, all at the NHL level. Fabro has zero games played in the American Hockey League. Fans can be more critical, incorrectly, of Fabro's development because they are watching the NHL and not the AHL games, and all of Fabro's development happened at the NHL level. Point is, a fourth-round pick can have value, but there is a maturation process. Back to Russo's tweet, quoting again, Wild still have 11-plus million of cap space, assuming Beckman and Maris aren't on their roster March 3rd, end quote. The Minnesota Wild roster to expand on what their roster is. Russo was saying what Gurren had said with a playoff-bound Minnesota team. If Minnesota continues to play well, the GM will add rentals at the deadline so long as he gets fair value. Gurren wouldn't overpay. However, from playing banker and looking like a seller, Gurren would pivot and be a buyer for his playoff-bound Minnesota group. And maybe the media-driven oversimplification that a team has to be a buyer or a seller is what Gurren showed was inaccurate. You can do both. The Billy the Buyer pivot begins February 28th, acquiring a former Wild Marcus Johansson from Washington for a third-round pick. Now 32, Johansson, a Washington draft pick, who also played in New Jersey, Boston, Buffalo, a year in Minnesota, a part year in Seattle before going back to Washington. Johansson is a kind of a jackknife top nine value forward that at $1.1 million, not the former Buffalo GM Bottrell's $4.5 million deal Minnesota had the second year of the first go-around is now proper valued. And if you go back to my assessments I had of Johansson, it was the undervalue of production for his cost 
kind of that half point production bottom six mostly top nine that has more playmaking skill set at times you think he ought to play top six but he can't produce to stay in that role he is definitely responsible defensively and he can add a bit of offense and minnesota's bottom six team makeup isn't as aged a group as it was that last time around johansson knows a lot of the group that remains and fits in and it's for example if you think of playoff experience johansson that has over 100 games played whereas what is the combined total of playoff games for sam Steele, connor dewar brandon duham and mason shaw other bottom six options for minnesota that first go around for johansson minnesota's bottom six had vets nick benino nick bukestad victor rask and by season end, Zach Parisi was playing bottom six, not in the top six. None of those like-styled vets remain. It lends to Johansson's value fitting better this time, possibly. Minnesota adds Columbus forward Gustav Nyquist for a fifth-round 2023 pick that originally belonged to Boston specifically, Columbus retaining 50% of Nyquist's salary, and with the 33-year-old pending UFA's $5.5 million reduced to half, Minnesota is getting a top-nine forward who consistently gets to double-digit goals in his career but has only had two 20-plus goal years for the stretch and playoff run. Now, Gustav is on IR listed week to week with a shoulder injury but it also didn't require any roster moves adding him at the deadline keep that 2.75 million 50% reduced contract in mind as we move to March 3rd when Minnesota deals forward Jordan Greenway and his 3 million salary with no retention to Buffalo in return for a 2023 second round pick originally Vegas's that Buffalo had and a 2024 fifth round I say keep in mind because some salary out salary on IR still meant Minnesota had the flexibility to continue on deadline day to make more moves and they did next Minnesota trades for forward Oscar Sundquist and his top nine proper valued 2.75 million third line wing value Sundquist was a member of the St. Louis 2019 cup winning team this is a Minnesota coach Dean Evason kind of player, tough and able to contribute as a bottom six forward. It's the type of player moving on from Greenway you acquire, and although he's a rental, Sunquist brings his cup run experience and has more upside offensively while playing the same type of physical forward game Greenway does. This move is of the Central Division GM deadline moves, the one to me that kind of flies under the radar, but likely gets a solid payoff if Minnesota goes deep into the postseason. I'd have given Gurren the win for the Central Division playoff deadline grades, not that we're doing them, but he wasn't even done with this deal. Sunquist, 7 goals, 21 points in 52 games played with Detroit this year. Greenway, 2 goals, 7 points in 45 games played this year before being traded. Greenway is 26 and Sunquist is 28. But also factor in Brandon Uhames' emergence as a capable low-cost winger with Eric Zanek and Marcus Valino instead of Greenway if it's not as Duhame is injured right now with his head and an unknown timeline. But Sunquist is another big-body winger to slot in. And I will say this, Sunquist, when in St. Louis, was a player I always felt competed and contributed in a noticeable way. 
I'm looking forward to how that fits into what Minnesota coach Evison and his plan to use Sunquist is. And maybe we wrap up Gurren's moves with a teaser to listen to the game recaps and then listen further because I'm going to share the read between the lines Gurren comments that made the acquisition of defenseman John Klingberg at 50% retained by Anaheim in return for defenseman Andre Sustra and forward Nikita Nestorenko's signing rights and a 2024 fourth round pick that equals near bank robbery even for rentals in a full how this fit for Minnesota. The 32-year-old Suster was a 750K organizational defense pickup who signed this offseason after being with Tampa Bay a year ago and getting traded to, you guessed it, Anaheim. And Suster played in Iowa in the AHL all this year for Minnesota. It's the third deadline as Tampa Bay and Anaheim did a deadline trade twice prior where Suster went from Tampa Bay to Anaheim. So Anaheim picking him up from Minnesota is the third time he has found his way to the Ducks. Nestorenko, a sixth round 2019 Minnesota pick 21, is what Anaheim really got his return. 31 points, 11 goals, and 34 games played this year at Boston College, NCAA. Not sure that prospect in a fourth is the equivalent of a second that was seemingly the going rate this year for playable NHL players. That's why I feel this is a sneaky good pickup for simply the minimal cost of doing it. Trust me, especially if Minnesota ends up playing Dallas during the playoffs, Klingberg is still likely not happy with how things went down in Dallas and signing a one-year deal with Anaheim. That probably makes him especially motivated to show his old Dallas team with that chip-on-his-shoulder mindset to especially, again, a word you will hear now talking about Minnesota's team with going forward, compete. Klingberg, 38 goals, 24 points in 50 games played this year with an awful Anaheim squad. Suited up for his first game with Minnesota versus Calgary Saturday night that we cover in this podcast. Just remember, he was part of that Dallas team that went to the Stanley Cup Finals, losing to Tampa Bay in 2019-20, the bubble playoffs. How Klingberg fits Minnesota is coming up later, as promised. Welcome to Central Division Hockey, the podcast. I'm your NHL outsider and Central Division expert, Tim Bigelow. I didn't plan to do team-focused post-deadline podcasts, but as trade deadline day became trade deadline week, well, all of Minnesota, St. Louis, and Nashville had daily changes. I couldn't record without having to add for each to get it all up, even in advance of deadline day. As it turns out, only St. Louis was. I'm good with it, as Minnesota didn't belong with those expected non-playoff Central Division teams anyways, and I had planned to say it like that. It's Minnesota, the Central Division team's post-trade deadline above the current playoff cutoff, who we catch up with first. The primary game recap has always put win or lose with the division team with the better record. Minnesota is 8-1-2 since our last Minnesota look, second in the Central Division. 36-21-6-78 points in 63 games played, a 6-19 point percentage. Minnesota, in one fewer game played, is three points back of 
of Dallas for first, who lost to Calgary Monday. Colorado in two fewer games is four points back of Minnesota. Minnesota in one fewer game played is up three points on Winnipeg after Monday's games. Here's the Minnesota game recaps. Scoreless first, 206 into the second Florida Open, scoring on a five-hole slot point shot tip off the cycle. Minnesota's Kirill Kaprizov's short side roof goal from just below the dot in the circle, three minutes, nine seconds after ties it. 43 seconds to the game's midpoint. Minnesota's Connor Dewar is stopped on a breakaway shorthanded. Teams tied at 1 through 40. 302 into the third. Florida look to get a 5 on 3 power play goal point shot through net front traffic. Incidental contact to Minnesota goalie Philip Gustafson negates the goal and it remains scoreless for the third. And overtime ends up with Florida defenseman Brandon Montour running over Minnesota goalie Gustafson as the horn sounds. Florida win it as Minnesota fall 2-1 at home in a shootout. Minnesota's 3-2 divisional home loss to Colorado is in the Colorado segment of the West Byers trade wins blowing gently episode. Minnesota's 2-1 divisional shootout home win to Dallas is in the Dallas segment of the West Byers trade win blowing gently episode. After a scoreless first that included Minnesota's Joel Erickson X shorthanded breakaway tuck that was stopped by Nashville goalie UC Saros 5 minutes 9 seconds into the game and later Nashville's Nino Niederreiter's in the paint block shot save in an otherwise empty net on Minnesota's Mason Shaw's shorthanded slot shot 47 seconds later. It's Minnesota's Brandon Duhame's net front goal off of his body on a point shot nine seconds into the second that opened scoring. A minute 26 seconds later, Minnesota's Kirill Kaprizov's slot lifted rebound power play goal adds to Minnesota's lead. Nashville Tommy Novak's two-on-one short side roof keep goal with two minutes 57 seconds left in the middle frame has Minnesota up two to one after two. A minute, 23 seconds into the third, Minnesota's Kaprizov's far side off the rush goal from above the circle for his second of the game is followed by Nashville's Roman Yossi's short side goal off the cycle with 4 minutes 56 seconds that makes it a one-goal game. With 47 seconds left, Nashville's Nino Niederreiter's net side tip pass goal set up by Roman Yossi ties it up. Then, Minnesota's Ryan Hartman's net front goal 26 seconds later on a sidewall point wrister from Jonas Brodeen off a Nashville defender net front with 21 seconds left in regulation gives Minnesota a 4-3 home win over divisional Nashville. In a scoreless first, Minnesota rookie Adam Beckman looks to get his first NHL goal on the power play, 35 seconds to the first midpoint, as he spins from the bumper spot to the slot and puts a nice shot over the pad under the blocker. The beauty goal comes off the board on a successful offside LA challenge on Minnesota's zone entry earlier in the play. Minnesota Ryan Hartman's far side shelf goal off the rush from the dot 13 seconds into the second open scoring and a 1-0 Minnesota lead through 40. Minnesota Hartman's toe drag short side slot goal off the rush, his second of the game with 348 left in the third, gives Minnesota a needed insurance goal as with 21 seconds left, LA spoil Minnesota goalie Philip Gustafson's shuttle bid beating the goalie jamming a shot off the post past him. Gustafson, 33 saves on 34 shots on goal. Minnesota take a 2-1 home win. L.A. goalie Phoenix Copley allowed two goals against 18 saves. It was the first time in three starts I watched L.A.'s Copley finish a game. 
The other two prior, he was pulled. Minnesota's Brandon DeHames in the paint rebound off the rush goal, 3-0-1 into the first, open scoring as the initial shot goes off the post. Minnesota's Kirill Kaprizov's 2-on-1, five-hole keep goal, a minute 12 seconds to the first midpoint, gives Minnesota a 2-0 lead after 20. Minnesota goalie Marc-Andre Fleury and team defense do the rest as through the final 40 without any further scoring in the game. Minnesota 2-0 road win. Flory makes 30 saves for the shutout for his second shutout of the year. And not that you would know it, they beat Columbus. Minnesota's Ryan Hartman's blast from just inside the offensive zone blue line goes clean off the far side post, beating the goalie but not going into the net a minute 35 seconds into the game. Two minutes, 10 seconds past the first midpoint. Minnesota's Brandon Duhame's goal from below the goal line goes in off former Pred Toronto's Kelly Yarncroke net front and in short side to open scoring. After a review, it stands. A late Toronto goal off the cycle net side, short side with 3 minutes 53 seconds left by former Blackhawk David Kampf has it even at 1 after 1. A scoreless second, followed by a scoreless third. 105 into OT, Toronto pickpockets Minnesota's Frederick Goudreau into the defensive zone, drive to the net to get the overtime game-winning goal as Minnesota pick up the loser point in a 2-1 overtime road loss. A Columbus goal open scoring with 3 minutes 40 seconds left in the first on a net front spin and far side roof goal after a Minnesota defensive zone turnover. Columbus 1-0 lead after 20. 3-0-4 into the second. Columbus get the net front tip 5-hole long goal of the middle frame for a 2-0 Columbus lead through 2. Minnesota's Kirill Kaprizov's net front body deflection goal 115 into the third starts Minnesota's comeback 4 minutes 45 seconds after. Minnesota's Kaprizov's Kaprizov's 5-on-3 5-hole power play goal off the offensive zone draw for his second of the game ties it 2-all through 3. With 20 seconds left in overtime, Minnesota Kaprizov completes the natural hat trick with his off-the-rush cross-slot one-timer overtime game-winning goal, his 37th of the year at the time as Minnesota wins in overtime 3-2 at home. The New York Islanders get the opening goal on a point shot rebound off the cycle with 3 minutes 45 seconds left in the first. Minnesota's Ryan Reeves off the rush, backhand, batted in, rebound goal, going to the net and putting away Jordan Greenway's initial shot, 1-0 after 1, scoreless second, scoreless third, and scoreless overtime. Minnesota take the extra point in a 2-1 home shootout win. 44 seconds into the first, Minnesota's Kirill Kaprizov's net side tap-in goal on the shot pass from the circle by Matt Zuccarello open scoring. Vancouver's Brock Besser's low circle one-timer power play goal ties it with 5 minutes 57 seconds left in the first, 1-0 after 1. Minnesota Kaprizov second of the game as he is sprung at the offensive zone blue line for a breakaway and he puts away a rebound goal. 3 minutes 40 seconds into the second, that ends up the game-winning goal. Teams play a scoreless third, and Minnesota goalie Marc-Andre Fleury makes 21 saves, allowing one goal against for a 2-1 Minnesota road win. Minnesota's Joel Erickson X net front double deflection goal after newly reacquired Marcus Johansson's high slot deflection of the initial Matt Boldy shot opens scoring with 5 minutes 8 seconds left in the first and gives Minnesota a 1-0 lead after 1. After Minnesota and Calgary play a scoreless second, two Minnesota third period goals in the back half of the third, Minnesota's Marcus Foligno's goal with 6 minutes 11 seconds left in the third as in the crease he bats in the puck 
after it goes off the back netting and post back into the net front where he puts it in and minnesota matt boldy's rebound lifted slot goal with three and a half minutes left adds to it as minnesota goalie philip gustafson makes all 31 saves for his second shot out of the season in a three nothing minnesota road win I watch Sportsnet's Calgary Home Broadcast and fail on the crew for what can be described as misinformation. To reference former Minnesota coach Jock Lemaire and current coach Dean Evison has zero merit. Further still, to do it while failing to acknowledge the defense-boring first hockey Calgary fucking plays under Calgary coach Daryl Sutter is off-putting. Minnesota didn't make that game boring. Calgary's games are off always that boring especially because they seemingly don't find ways to score goals this year heck even their coach daryl sutter post game said he didn't mind the fact the fans booed their own team it might be better to tell the viewers minnesota is going to come into calgary and show how to effectively outplay calgary at its own game that is predicated on getting outstanding goaltending again something minnesota is getting that calgary isn't this year it's sad, really, the Sportsnet play-by-play guy interjecting opinion instead of calling the actual play. And Minnesota can appreciate a game called by Minnesota's play-by-play guy, Anthony LaPanta, because he doesn't do that. And Greg Millen on color, I had to check it, who I once highly regarded, simply has arrived at the point where he lacks passion for the games he's asked to do, and his lack of effort in doing them is showing incoming homecoming that has to wait vancouver's brock besser had the lone goal for the nucks versus minnesota but the rumors of him wanting to be traded to his home state team mostly i believe from his own also minnesota-based agent didn't materialize and he remains in vancouver still it's something with jordan greenway's trade that removed three million per over the next two years term off minnesota's books after this season possible it still would require more minnesota roster moves to fit besser's 6.65 million two years left under minnesota's cap the keepers of philip gustison and mark andre Fleury are holding down the crease and the score sheets keeping it low scoring affairs minnesota's tandem allowed two goals against or fewer in all the games covered over this stretch except two where they allowed three goals against that included the lone regulation loss minnesota had while minnesota picked up a win in that other game for goal scoring, seeing of late two injured through this campaign, players Ryan Hartman and Brandon Duhames, although he's injured again, names re-emerging on the score sheet is good to see, and Marcus Foligno in the Calgary game also found it. That's vital for Minnesota's goal scoring by committee. This year, Kirill Kaprizov, a goal away from 40, Joel Eriksson-Eck with 22 goals, Matt Zuccarello's 20 goals, and Matt Boldy with 17 goals have had to do the heavy lifting and carry the goal scoring in Minnesota this year. More secondary scoring in the tight games is why Minnesota is getting the goals needed to win. Make no mistake, Minnesota currently, and as they incorporate their trade deadline day additions, is the team to watch in the division. They are certainly playing good hockey at the right time of the year to be doing it. One thing, though, is there are no shootouts in the playoffs. 
Minnesota has a superb 7-3 win-loss record in shootouts. That's seven extra time points valuable to winning the division and potentially the Western Conference title. LA in the Pacific Division is 6-1 in shootouts. That's probably equal or second to Minnesota only. However, while it's great for regular season success, it won't mean a damn thing come playoff time when the skills competition doesn't decide games. Question, was Kalen Addison called out by Minnesota GM Bill Gurren? During Gurren's interview on 32 Thoughts podcast prior to the trade deadline day, without naming Addison, Gurren mentioned, to paraphrase the GM, that specialists have to learn to be complete players to keep roster spots. The young Addison leads Minnesota defensemen in points and has value, Q being the Minnesota power play. He also is the only wild player negative double digits in plus minus at minus 18. That's minus 10 worse than any other Minnesota player and a reason Addison has come out of the lineup at times for his poor defensive play. It's why the addition of vet right-hand defense, same shot John Klingberg, as a rental shouldn't surprise anyone after hearing Gurren's interview. Certainly, I wouldn't say Klingberg is strong defensively either, but paired with, say, a defensive-minded Jonas Brodeen, John Merrill, or Alex Goligoski, Klingberg won't be as big a risk as the less experienced Addison. It also instantly gave Minnesota a power play QB defense option in Klingberg, a vet who's an offensive puck mover that will be able to play five on five. Not sure while talking about identifying teams needing that skill set, many thought of Minnesota and Klingberg, and most were saying Klingberg might stay in Anaheim because few teams playoff bound didn't already have his skill set on their team. Once Edmonton went for defensively suited defenseman Matthias Ekholm, the teams in on Klingberg would have been especially limited, and that allowed Minnesota GM Bill Gurren to get a player at a really good price and pick value from a Minnesota team perspective. It's possible, although I don't know, other interested teams, if there were any, didn't drive up the cost to obtain the defenseman, giving Greenway the green light at a fresh start. Greenway was held out of the lineup for failing to be on time earlier in the season, and GM Gurren and Coach Evison showed player accountability is required in Minnesota by doing that. Greenway certainly played well leading up to the deadline, and the team he goes to in Buffalo does fit a new opportunity for Greenway on a team that system and teammates should allow him to find success with his skill set. One of the things with the additions at the deadline is Minnesota has a lot of player flexibility in both the forward lines and the deep pairings for Coach Dean Evison to find good combos. The sum of Minnesota parts as the team's record of late is looking like a tough out. And they look to be playing playoff-style hockey down the stretch, and this group wants to do that. But as they have said all year, they want to continue to do it into the postseason. Minnesota's division head-to-head record, 10-7-0. Minnesota is home to Calgary Tuesday. Calgary had to play in Dallas Monday and picked up a win over the Stars. Minnesota then travels for a divisional game in Winnipeg Wednesday, so they're on a back-to-back. Winnipeg lost in overtime Monday. Minnesota continue on the road with back-to-back Saturday in San Jose 
and in Divisional Arizona Sunday to meet another Divisional Team St. Louis next Wednesday to finish up a four-game road trip. I will forgo the Pacific Division comparable simply as things sit. There is a real likelihood that each division ends up with four teams in the playoffs, an equal split. And from a Minnesota perspective, the way they're playing, they look to be a top three Central Division team that has the potential with their current play to compete for first in the division. They won't really have to be thinking about the Pacific Division and those teams as it relates to the playoffs. Up next, we're going to turn to the division-leading Dallas Stars and look at their deadline moves as well as their struggles of late while they stay, for now, atop the Central Division. Thanks for listening.